Yo, yo, it's your boy Matt Baxter on another amazing episode of the Matt Baxter Show. I'm hanging out with Andreas Deptola, coming to you live, originally from Germany, entrepreneur, not afraid to fair, uh, not afraid to share a couple failures in life, what ultimately pivoted his way into the HR tech space, where I got introduced to him uh, by the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Pratt in Vegas. We became friends. Uh, and we just really, really hit it off. Andreas brings such a unique and awesome perspective, definitely analytical and intelligent, but yet uh, very humble, down to earth, and just just wickedly smart guy. So Andreas, what you're doing in the world, uh, both in HR tech and business as an entrepreneur and just as a man, I'm just very, very, very thankful for, for you and what you do, and also for being such an amazing guest in this podcast. And folks, if you're interested... Andreas also had uh, has a podcast himself where I happen to be a guest. He has plenty of other guests than me, but I happen to be a guest uh, as well. We did a little co-podcasting, which was a ton of fun. So Andreas, thank you again for all that you do. And I hope everybody enjoys this podcast just as much as I did. Andreas, thanks for uh, being a guest on this podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, so, uh, you know, fun little story background. Uh, we got introduced by shout outs to Tim Pratt. Um, awesome introduction and just a dear friend, I think to both of us and, uh, got the chance to meet for the first time in Vegas where all good things start and begin and never, never spoken about. So we'll leave the story there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so good to have you. Um, I'm fired up for this, obviously, our backgrounds overlap quite a bit in business, but um, I, I, I'm just excited to for the audience to hear your story, your background, and we'll, we'll dive into it. But you know, without further ado, just give me a give me give me give me the high level kind of your background, where you came from, just all of it. Yeah, perfect. So um, maybe uh, uh, let's address the elephant in the room, like giving my accent. Not originally here from the United States. Uh, I, grew I, was thinking, up, I, I was thinking Ohio, but maybe not. So. Yeah, I, I get Ohio a lot, right? <laughs> so Colorado and whatnot. No, but uh, um, it is, uh, it's Germany, right? So that, that's where I grew up and, um, you know, started my career really for one of the largest European media companies uh, called Bertelsmann. And we yeah, operated worldwide. The specific segment that I worked in, we did uh, e-commerce, financial services, logistics and call center for uh, large technology companies, right? So I had clients in the US like Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and Toshiba and whatnot. And that was really exciting. Uh, did that for five years, learned a lot, worked with a great team. And, um, you know, as I was developing my career, I then uh, worked in uh, strategy consulting for us a little in Germany for a few years. Um, and again, great experience. Um, and, you know, I think you reflect on your life and like what, what you enjoy the most and whatnot. I met somebody, uh, you know, my, my business partner, Wade, doing our MBAs. Um, and, uh, you know, really what, what I enjoyed most is, is really building and building products, building teams, sales organization, culture, you name it, right? I'm, I would consider myself a builder and that's why, you know, I said, like, hey, let's let's really launch our own businesses and, uh, you know, become an entrepreneur. Right. That That's really what 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 motivated me to start the first company. Um, and, uh, you know, that that passion is still there. I love it. So um, you when did you move from uh, Germany to uh, United States? And I guess did you live like for long sprints anywhere else other than Germany and U.S.? 
Yeah, so so part of my MBA was in in Spain, Madrid, right? Oh, that awesome. Was, uh, that, that was a great experience. And then, uh, you know, I worked early on in my career for for two years in Los Angeles, and then uh, had a you know a couple of extended stays in uh, in Chicago and Washington D.C. So that was that was great. Um, and then a lot of back and forth uh, between you know Europe and and uh, United States. And my wife is from 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 the US, right? So we, we kind of have both hearts in our uh, bodies, so to speak. And uh, sorry, where, where'd you say? Where's your your wife from? Oh, she's from the East Coast, right? Oh, got so it. Cool. Was, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so we moved permanently back to the United States about seven years ago. Uh, back in the days, we lived in Munich, Germany, and then moved to uh, Boulder, Colorado, and um, really enjoy life here. And uh, um, love, love the city. Okay. So before we get into, you know, obviously anything, you know, deep dive professional, I do have to ask the question. So you live in Colorado, so obviously you have some exposure to some, you know, unique breweries. So walk me through the comparison of German beer to modern day United States beer. Um, I, I've, I've always wondered it truly what people think on the other side, what that's like. So walk me through whatever you feel like you feel comfortable sharing, you know, German beer versus us beer. Yeah, I mean it's 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 quite amazing to see what 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 has developed in Colorado like over the last decades, right? In terms of microbreweries, and I think that that's a really really cool movement. A lot of great beers here. You know, I, I would say the the main uh, distinction might be like Germany is still ruled by the Reinheitsgebot, right? Which basically only allows you to uh, use certain ingredients uh, for your beer, right? I think that by itself narrows, um, you know, the portfolio, so to speak, in Germany a little bit. And, you know, it's mostly lagers or pilsners and whatnot in Germany. And, like, that's what I grew up with, right? And then here you just have a little bit of a wider variety with the IPAs and uh, some, some other uh, beers. But, I, you know, I, I certainly enjoy both. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And then last, last beer question. Um, for local Germans, is Oktoberfest awesome or like the worst thing ever? Because the reason why I ask is I live, um, I both I grew up in Ann Arbor where there was always some big events, obviously not as big as Oktoberfest. And then I moved mm -hmm. to uh, Holland, Michigan, where they have this thing mm -hmm. called Tulip Times, where, you know, yeah. thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come into this small little town for Tulip Time. And all the locals kind of hate it just because of the influx of, tra you know, travelers, but it's obviously, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So what's, what's the take for a local, uh, 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 to, to Oktoberfest? Yeah. I mean, obviously, so, so we, we did live in Munich for two years, right? So I, 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 you know, could witness this for, for like two, two seasons, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly a big deal, right. For the local economy and whatnot and, and, and a big tradition. Um, I would say Munich during Oktoberfest is, is probably not like uh, the traditional Munich, right? To your point, like a lot of tourists from all over the world coming to town, right? Um, and, you know, what, what is fun, funny to see is like a lot of times, like the, the locals, they go four or five times, right? You go with uh, your neighbors, with your family, with your colleagues from work, you go with your alumni from from uh, university and whatnot so uh, you know at least for me certainly like you know um after that you, you're also done right you're, you're done to have it over and uh, and whatnot but um, certainly um, you know great great thing for the city and, and great tradition no i love it i love it um all right so 
natural transition from beer to HR tech, I think is, you know, only <laughs> only the, the, the drastic swing and perfect storytelling, right? Um, but no, one of the things, so you mentioned kind of after your MBA program, met business partner, kind of started the entrepreneurial journey. So obviously, you and I know each other outside of this kind of relationship around HR tech, PEOs, all that different space, which is awesome. But your first business, first kind of entrepreneurial thinking uh, after your MBA or whatever timeline, was it in the space? What space was it in? Kind of what, what, what got you started? Yeah, so it was actually three three co-founders, right? So so wait, we were doing the MBA, and then Charlie and I we worked uh, back in the days in technology. He was uh, an outstanding developer, right? So it was kind of like the three of us. the The idea was, you know, we we lived back in the days in Europe and and saw this concept of given an experience and self stuff, right? And how that was done in Europe is, you know. You'd go to a re retail store and buy a box, right? And, you know, an adventure box or whatnot. And you would give it to, you know, a family member or somebody, you know, for their birthday. And um, the, the box would have a catalog, right? Where you could, um, you know, choose one of the experiences, right? Whether that's how to have a balloon ride or, you know, a ski trip or whatever that is. And, uh, we really like that we're all passionate about experiences right and how that creates memories and makes people happy so we said like, that, that's a really cool concept um but we didn't like the the aspect that was also the retail stores and the physical catalog is, is outdated fairly quickly um so what we did we took that idea and built a b2c consumer uh, e-commerce store here in the united states right where you essentially could give these experiences uh, to somebody. And that was really the, the start of our first company, Vicious Rewards. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, Matt, it, it failed. So we, uh, we, we knew how to scale up an e-commerce store and process, you know, millions of orders within uh, an hour, right? But uh, we didn't quite understand, like, you know, how marketing works and conversions and, and whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, now looking back at it, if you want to launch something like that, you just need deep pockets, right. To educate the market. Um, but you know, from this initial failure, you know, what happened, we, we did look at like the few people that, that, you know, purchase these experiences. And a lot of times it was, uh, human resource managers and they would essentially buy that for their employees for, um, you know, work anniversaries or birthdays and whatnot. And. You know, I was like, okay, that that's interesting, and we just explored the market and interviewed uh, some potential customers and understood like what are what are really their pain points, right? And then we pivoted our solution from you know what was a consumer market uh, to B two B play, right? And then developed a pretty sophisticated solution holistically for employee rewards and recognition, right? Um, and would integrate into HR platforms so we could get all the employee data and then reward the employees and that that took off right so why that wasn't the the initial intent right i think oftentimes in your entrepreneurial journey you just have to pivot and understand what what the true market demands are so um this might be a difficult question to ask or answer um when you so i respect the hell out of you because i don't think many people are willing to fully truly admit like a failure which i think is amazing um and so obviously that business didn't succeed, but it proved to kind of carve the pathway to many other things that obviously you've had a lot of success in. But when, how did you kind of decide that it was like rip the bandaid off? Uh, you're done, you know, we're closing up shop on this or, 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 
this is just you know not the right path that we want to go. Um, and I kind of asked twofold. Number one, just mm-hmm. your experience and and how that actually happened. And number two, like you know. If, for us in our space, like it was kind of fascinating because we muddled along with Wedge for like three years and right and not not a whole lot happened. And then all of a sudden, boom, COVID happened and changed the entire market, the way video works and all these different things. And it was like, there was plenty of days I was like, man, this is just not going as quickly as we thought. And so I think it was kind of slowly dying until COVID changed the way we, we think about hiring in general. And that kind of was the revamp. And so I... I kind of long-winded way of asking like if, for you what was sort of the, the the trigger point to say yep it's time to be done with this versus let's you know power through whatever it is yeah it's a great question uh the short answer is it was definitely not quick enough right and um you know probably took us like a year to get there and we also we pursued it both the b2c and b2b business model for a little bit in parallel right in, in hindsight, you're always smarter, right? And I think that also the startup community now with all these uh, additional resources and accelerators like Techstars and Y Combinator um, have evolved quite a lot, right? I mean, n- now what I would have done is like, you know, just test out a lot of things way earlier, right? Instead of building the entire uh, solution out to see if, if there's even demand, right? Um, so. In hindsight, you always we, we waste a lot of time, but you know it's it's part of the learning, right? It's part of the learning curve, and I think we as a team just had to go through that. And now we are applying that all the time, right? Where you know instead of building something, we are asking our distribution partners, our broker partners, right, or our clients or prospects to say like, hey, is is that something you know you would buy? Is that something that would add value, right? And um, but yeah, to to answer your original question. Uh, about a year and um you know but but sometimes you just have to go the journey in order to to, to arrive at a uh, at a good spot i i get it no it makes sense and thanks for uh thanks for sharing that and also you know it's such a fascinating balance around um sort of demand side selling and also sort of customer education and teaching mm-hmm. right there's just like there there's um i mean so many products that what I've learned is just because you have a good idea and just because it's a good idea and just because a friend tells you it's a good idea, doesn't mean it's not going to, somebody's going to buy it. And that's like, that's a very overly simple. And I think if you said that to anybody, they would now their head be like, of course that makes sense. But the problem is like so many, I'm not saying this is your business, but I've just watched so many people be like, Oh, I have this idea and I want to build a business around it. Awesome. And typically they're validated or denied by friends. And then they're either let's choose to move forward based upon that reaction or choose not to move forward. And the problem is those typically aren't the customers. Sometimes they are, but for the most part, they're not the customers. And just because somebody says it's a good idea or just because it's innovative or creative does not mean that people are going to buy it and does not mean people are going to use it, which I think is a little bit of kind of the school of hard knocks. And then, and then it's interesting how people think the business failed when it really had nothing to do with necessarily the way you ran the business, the way you were funded or bootstrapped or whatever. It has a lot to do with the fact that maybe the idea to begin with wasn't really what people wanted. And that's just a harsh reaction. So anyways, I, it's fascinating lessons on all that for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, oftentimes I would even say it's uh, the execution is as important or if not more important than the ideas, right? I mean, 100%, oh my gosh, hundred percent. Right. I mean, everybody has, uh, uh, 12 great ideas and everybody came up with uh, what now Facebook is, right? And Uber and whatnot. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you can execute on it, it doesn't matter, right? And then to your point, the validation piece is hard, right? Like, um, 
oftentimes you see that the entrepreneur itself like is so passionate about something that they will find a way for their top 10, 20 friends to buy the product, right? But, uh, you know, the, the question then is, is that really market validation, right? And um, at, at one point, like as an entrepreneur, like you have to stop being the rainmaker, so to speak, and sell the product and, and, and become off an architect, right? Because otherwise, you know, that, that's just a limit or like a, a glass ceiling, so to speak, for your business. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I, I to the last point, I, I learned that lesson the hard way was, be it network effect or people, just good people who wanted to support me, I could sell the product originally, but that doesn't mean people actually wanted to use it. That means they were willing to support me, not necessarily the product, right? And that, those are two vastly different things. And that's, you know, demand side selling, I think is such a, such a harsh reality for people starting off because there's so much emotions and passion and time and energy and effort put into building something to the point where you can sell it. But again, that just because you did all those things doesn't mean that's what somebody actually wants or needs. And um, I, I have definitely made that mistake and continue will. And I, I know for a fact it will in the future too, but it's, it's a harsh reality for sure, but no, all good. Um, so kind of continuing along the journey from, you know, you, you started talking to HR departments, uh, because those were kind of original customers, which is awesome mm -hmm. because although the business failed, your curiosity for kind of going down the trend line and going down, you know, customer journeys and continued, which shows obviously that's an entrepreneur at heart. So walk me through kind of what happened next. Yeah, so we, uh, we then found like tremendous success in the B2B space, right? With a wish list uh, rewards, rewards in the recognition platform um, and had a lot of clients on the tech side, right? A lot of clients in Silicon Valley um, and um, they, they all had the same problem, right? How do I attract and retain the, the best talent? And, and one of the things that came around here in the US uh, back in the days was was this concept of like, you know, what's called now, now a lifestyle account, right? So an employer would give a certain amount of money, 50 or $100 per month to their employees to, to exercise, go to the gym or whatnot. Um, and it was really cumbersome for HR departments to administrate that. So we essentially built a solution for that, right? Um, and uh, looked at like, you know, building a marketplace, building uh, all these different categories out. Um, and we hit a market niche with that, right? Um, and then, you know, over time, we said, okay, there, there's so much here. Let's spin this out to its own company, right? Uh, and that is now ThrivePass. Um, we then understood, okay, like, you know, what we have built here, you know, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of demand here. Um, but will there be a ceiling? What's what's really the, the, the ultimate goal and purpose of the company? And uh, we had a lot of, you know, discovery again and um, thought about the market and like, you know, what what's what are the, the bottlenecks here? You know, what's what's not working quite well? And essentially what, what we came up with and what's right past now is, is really a way to enhance the experience that employees have through their benefits. And that that is through the entire life cycle, right? So. You start with your uh, employer, right? We we can help with the onboarding through an admin platform. And then once you are onboarded, we provide them, you know, with, with that benefit package. So you think about the traditional um, flexible spending accounts, health savings account, whatnot. And then a lot of like really innovative uh, benefits like tuition reimbursement is, is growing. And, you know, the lifestyle accounts now, like during COVID, right? We, we help employees, you know, to work from home, right? With, with these kind of funding, mental well-being, right? Um, all of these are important topics. And then as, as you're transitioning out of the 
organization, uh, we do cobalt administration and, and have some really innovative technology on that front, right? So um, it was all, um, you know, really a, a process, right? And discoveries through our board, right? And, and partners uh, to really identify, okay, what, what's our long-term vision and uh, where's our place in the market? I love it. Um, and so understanding both your, you know, technology background and the way you kind of have used, you know, software, different tech in, in various different ways, but also kind of the service component to like working with employees and, and HR. How have you kind of blended uh, both the way you approach the philosophy behind building a company that has both a service component to it and a software slash software as a service component, which are different, but might have a lot of similarities. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on the overlaps and maybe the differences. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, uh, if, if you look at, you know, our, the industry as a whole, right, benefits, um, you know, everybody is always saying like, well, we, we have great service and whatnot. Uh, so that, that's almost table stakes, right? You, you gotta, you gotta have that right. You gotta have the right SLAs and, you know, we, we obviously monitor that very, very closely and do surveys and, and, and whatnot. So that, that's what I would call is, is, is really the foundation. Um, but if everybody says, hey, it's service, right? How do you differentiate, right? Because it, it quickly then becomes uh, the law of pricing pressure in the market, right? And it becomes a race to the bottom. So, you know, we don't want to play in that. So we said, okay, how can we essentially differentiate, right? And that, that's always innovation and product so we invest quite heavily into our product development right where we can say okay how can we be on the leading edge right and uh, essentially um, provide um, a better user experience right technology enabled to our clients so they can basically um, see the results with, with the satisfaction of their employees so how have you gone about thinking about kind of kind of on the user experience line, but also like you have so many layers in the benefit space, HR space. There's so many layers of who's involved in the service you're providing. And what I mean by that is like, OK, for us. So let's say I'm going to go sell, you know, video interviewing uh, to you. Right. So there's uh, there's one layer of it that's OK. I'm going to go do a demo in front of the decision maker or the business owner or the HR director or the CHRO. Right. And that's, you know, one demo and that's one conversation. And then typically the follow up would be, hey, we want to have we want to run this by our recruitment team or our you know HR manager who's actually going to be using the product. Right. So we kind of view the difference of those two things as like the purchaser and then the user. Sometimes in smaller companies, they're the same, but a lot of times they're different. Right. Then on top of that, we have the added layer of we have a service that we provide as a B2B, but then we have the end users uh, going through Wedge as a video interview service. So those are the end, you know, literally candidates. And so you have everything from like candidates going through the product to uh, users to kind of decision maker purchases, which are three wildly different services, three wildly different customer journeys, three wild different, you know, approaches that you have to take to communicating with. And I'd just be kind of curious. Um, Again, it's very easy to say things like, yeah, we want to deliver excellence to all. Okay, great. But what does that mean? We want to deliver the best product experience. Okay, great. What does that mean? So for you, like with, with so much kind of innovation and, and process around how do we continuously be on the cutting edge? How have you guys kind of thought about all the various different levels of like users, uh, people involved, uh, a part of the process? Because it's obviously clearly complex on a, different a lot of different levels. Yeah, so certainly complex, right? And uh, to add some some additional additional layers to the complexity, right? So our our 
sales and marketing approach, essentially we, we have three different uh, pillars, right? One is work very closely with, you know, the uh, insurance broker world, right? So a lot of the insurance brokers are working with us, right? As a technology partner and bring us in, right? And that obviously has additional complexity, right? Because like now you're not necessarily just talking to the clients, right? But like you're, you have a partner in the mix and uh, you gotta you got to navigate that. And um, that has been very successful for us, right? It's, it's one of those things where just over time you have to build trust, right? And uh, um, essentially prove yourself. And, uh, you know, as, as long as the clients are, you're happy, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those things that's, um, that leads to a lot of recurring revenue. Um, so the second, the second pillar for us is essentially what, what we call technology partnerships, right? You mentioned uh, Tim Pratt earlier here, uh, who is, uh, you know, was Prism HR, one of the biggest uh, PO uh, platforms, right? So that, that, that's a partner for us, Sun Live, a few others, uh, you know, where we essentially are integrated to their systems in, in one way or the other. Um, and through that integration, it just makes it easier for, for their clients um, to, to access our services. And then the third, third, third way for us is really, uh, you know, inbound marketing um, and, and digital marketing or whatnot, right, and, and going direct. So each of those different, um, you know, elements have their own complexities and, and, and need, to, need to be managed. Uh, and, uh, you know, for us, one of the tools that has helped quite a lot specifically as you are um, yeah, going into a new market, right? Or you're working with a new partner in a complex situation, we've developed our brand promise. Um, and essentially what, what that is, right? We said like, hey, if, if to simplify it, if our clients are not 100% satisfied with this Wi-Fi service, uh, we let them out of the contract, we give them the money back, right? So it's kind of like, uh, and it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you know, it has a lot of T's and it's, it's, you know, saying, Hey, we are confident in our um, ability to deliver here. And if we don't, we make it right. Right. So strategies like that, you know, have certainly enabled us to, to scale. And um, you know, you asked earlier about like the, the different, you know, uh, tactics or whatnot. So, so we serve clients anywhere from, you know, 50 employees to, to 40, 50,000, right? And specifically, once you get to the enterprise level, it obviously gets a lot more complicated, right? It's typically not one decision maker anymore, right? You have buying com uh, committees, right? And that's really where it's, where it's important to understand what are the decision making criteria here uh, in order to navigate that successfully. I think one of the key things you uh, one of the key things you mentioned is kind of the comment around manage, right? And what has to be managed. And I I have gotten my ass absolutely handed to me by being probably a little bit more laissez faire than I should be, not intentionally, but it was like, okay, let's just sprinkle a little bit of marketing on, and uh, we'll build it. We'll build a marketing engine. Like I don't think people realize how truly difficult it is to build like an inbound lead pipeline. Like, yes, you have all these companies out there saying it's easy to do, but like to do it successfully at scale, repeatable and not just dumb luck, like, hey, you got a couple leads, but consistently is so freaking hard. And it's it's very doable. Like it's, it's I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's just, it's it's very complex. It's, it's, it's like, it's just fascinating. Like same thing from sales process, right? You can put a bunch of people who know your product and can speak to it, but to sell all the way from, 
interest to to demo to close to customer to retaining as a customer i mean that journey is so complex and so anyways i i i applaud kind of your, your wisdom on all that and you're right it, it takes manage every step of the way and the problem is once it's set up that does not you're just starting the work then then like in the weeds operationally the excellence that you have to have repeatedly 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 like it it's a it's a toll for sure but it's it's what you got to do to get it right hundred percent. Yeah. So um, you're obviously got big visions for the world, big impact for the world. So I, I guess my um, kind of two part question is both for you as an individual and then for what you're trying to do in the business, what kind of impact uh, do you want to have? And maybe there's some over, I would assume there's some overlap between the two, but what kind of impact are you hoping to have on your life, others life in business uh, and just as a person? Yeah, um, I think it goes back to kind of like what 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 we uh, you know discussed earlier, right? I, I consider myself as as a as a builder, as a creator, and that that gives me satisfaction, right, in our small ecosystem. So, you know, as it pertains to Strive Pass, right? I mean, building a great culture, right, where where people want to work for, where people can grow, right, and, and further their careers, uh, and and building products that can actually you know, help people better their lives and, and make it easier for them. I mean, that that's what I'm passionate about, right? And like, if, if we accomplish some of that, um, I consider that a success. I love that. So my, uh, my, my favorite, uh, favorite question in the world is, uh, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what kind of drives you to continue doing what you're doing? Yeah, I think for us right now, it's, it's certainly the, uh, the the innovation that, that that we're working with, right? I think that you know, if if I look at the market holistically, um, there, there's certainly a lot of startups and, and innovative companies, right? There's also a side of the of the business of the industry that like really hasn't changed all that much over the last uh, you know decade or two. Um, and to disrupt that, right? And uh, you know, we went through an, an exercise here the other day with a team we called the X Factor exercise, right? Where we're looking at like how can we be seven to ten times, you know, more effective or better than the uh, than the competition, right? I mean, that that's essentially what what fuels uh, me and my energy, right? So if you think about like you know what Airbnb did for the hotel industry, right, or um, you know, Netflix uh, did for, you know, uh, is competing against companies like uh, um, uh, Blockbuster or whatnot, right? So thinking about innovation, thinking about building something special, um, you know, those are the things that I'm really passionate about. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, well, seriously, this has been uh, such an awesome podcast. Uh, is there anything else you want to uh, leave the audience with? No, I mean, Matt, Matt this, this was great. Um, uh, had a lot of uh, lot of fun with you here today and some, some really intriguing questions. <laughs> I love it. And uh, for people that want to follow along your journey, uh, what you're doing both in the business, maybe you personally, what's the best way for them to either reach out, connect with you, follow along, or just follow everything that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, like LinkedIn uh, is, is the obvious, uh, right? Happy, happy to connect there and like, you know, have, have conversation and whatnot. Uh, um, so that, that would be the the easiest place to find me. Love it. Well, sir, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This was awesome. Thanks, Matt.
you just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.